Hey everyone, welcome back to a new episode of The Real Story. Today I am so thrilled that we are bringing guests back onto the show. It's been a little bit since we've had an outside, <laughs> an outside writer or an outside publishing industry expert on our podcast. And today I could not be more thrilled um, than to have two of the most astute, smart, incredible, savvy women on the podcast today. So joining me today are Karen McQuestion, who is an Amazon Charts bestselling author. She writes for adults, teens, kids. Um, she has sold all in all, get ready for it, over 2 million copies of her books, and she is an indie published author, meaning she is a self-published author. If that is not incredible and doesn't make you think twice about self-publishing, I'm not sure what else will. She's also the co-host um, with her USA Today bestselling author, friend Tess Thompson, who also joins us on the podcast today. They have their podcast called Behind the Book that I was lucky enough to just be on. Um, Tess Thompson like I just said, USA Today bestselling author. She's also an award-winning author of contemporary and historical romance. Um, she has published, I think, 40 books, around 40 books. Eight of those alone she published last year. Now, I really want readers to, or readers and listeners to wrap their head around that because publishing eight books, and some of them, yes, were novellas, and she talks about that today, that seems impossible, right? Like most of us are lucky to just get one. However, when you were working on your own deadlines, when you were setting your own pace, when you decide to self-publish or decide to indie publish, you kind of create your own publishing schedule. Now, we get into all the real conversation around indie publishing today because it is something I've always thought about. I have never ventured into it because, I mean, I think ego has a lot to do with it. Just like, oh, well, I want to be validated by a publisher. But then when you get validated by that publisher, oftentimes you were left very underwhelmed by the experience. You're not making as much money as you could be making. You don't have as much autonomy as you could be making. So today's conversation really cracks open this self-publishing space. And I really asked all the questions that I wanted answers to about entering into this space and what it's been like for these two very, very prolific, incredibly successful authors um, around the indie publishing space and how you do this successfully. So sit back, enjoy this incredible conversation with Karen McQuestion and Tess Thompson. Hey guys, I'm Rhea Fry, best-selling author, business owner, wife, mother, but most of all, I'm a human. And I'm Joe Tower, entrepreneur, producer, editor, husband, son, and I am also a human. As writers, we're always digging behind the story of publishing, ego, process, to get to the deeper truth of who we are and why we're here. While we're still pursuing that mission of the Right Way podcast, we wanted a platform where we could talk about being writers as well as being human. Now we'll be spending each episode talking with real people about real shit. This is the real story. All right. Okay. First of all, I am so excited to have you both on because I recently did your podcast behind the book. And by the end of it, I was seriously 
saying to myself, screw traditional publishing. I'm going to self-publish just because it is the one thing in this crazy industry that I haven't done. And I have always been interested in it. And after our conversation, I almost felt empowered to realize like, oh, I, I could do this. And maybe there is an easier way to do this. Um, so we'll kind of get into that a little bit, but I'd love for you both to just tell us a bit about your publishing path and why you decided to self-publish. Um, Karen, if you want to start and then Tess. Oh, sure. I feel like I've told this story a million times, I, but um, <laughs> I was the author who tried to get an agent, tried to get published for 10 years. Um, and I even had agents at two different points. They couldn't sell my books. So I had this sort of this backlog of failed novels when Kindle came on the scene. And I remember reading a little like two paragraph article about another author, um, Boyd Morrison, who we actually have interviewed on our podcast, Tess and I have. And he had taken a novel that had been turned down and uploaded it to Kindle and had success and it was eventually picked up by a, a big publisher. So my reaction to this was not that I thought it was an avenue to get to a publisher. I just was fascinated. I didn't even know you could do this. I mean, I, I knew what a Kindle was, but it was like $400. I didn't know anyone who owned one. And so that weekend, um, my husband and I spent all weekend, and I mean the entire weekend, I think we only stopped to sleep, uploading four manuscripts. We quick made wow. covers. My, we made my daughter pose for one of them. In another one, we, I mean, this is how far back it was. We didn't know anything. I mean, um, and it was really arduous because the formatting was difficult. There was nothing was set up to make it easy at that point. It was like they had created a system. And um, But anyway, I'll cut to the chase and tell you that the books really took off. Mm -hmm. They took off. I started making money. I People left good reviews. I, I was just floored. Like every day, I couldn't wait to look and see what the sales were and see if more people had reviewed it and see what the rankings were. Um, and eventually I was picked up by Amazon Publishing. Um, they had started their own publishing house and they were sort of cherry picking from the self-published authors that were doing well. Um, and then since then I've published some books with them but now I'm back to self-publishing because apparently um, as one of my friends said, no one can tell you what to do. So I, <laughs> I guess I, I don't take direction well. I think Tess and I have talked about this many, many times and the line that I always use that she loves is that I've been an outdoor cat for too long. I yeah. just, you know, once they're out, it's hard to get them back in. So that's my story in a nutshell. Tess had a, a different, fascinating path, I think. Yeah. And you guys can still hear me. Yes. Okay. My computer said a strange thing about the output. So anyway, um, well, I'm similar in that I did spend several years trying to find an agent and I shopped around a manuscript and nothing really, you know, happened with it uh, other than I rewrote things for agents. And it was just like this arduous thing that everybody has gone through. Um, and I actually was picked up by a small press in a series of coincidences of, with it. Basically, somebody I knew in college hooked me up with something else. It was like, you know, one of those stories. So I was with a small press for my first eight books, and they very abruptly closed their doors. I believe it was 2016. And so I was sort of left with these 
books, you know, that I had the rights back to. And I thought, what should I do? Should I look around for another small press? Should I self-publish? Whatever. I had just gotten married um, to my now husband and he is a business guy. And he was like, this doesn't make any sense to give your money away to anybody else. You already know how to do this. Um, there's all these resources and tools out there. So I, you know, he really voted for the self-publishing thing. So I did, and I kind of have not looked back. I mean, that was like 30 books ago or something. Uh, and I have not regretted it once ever. I have thought over the years about, you know, what kind of publisher would it take to bring me back into the fold, so to speak. And I, for a while, I, I had, you know, toyed with a couple ideas, but at seeing friends go through certain things over the years, I'm like, no, no, I also need to be an outside cat. <laughs> and, and I guess that's my question for both of you, because you embarked on the self-publishing journey and you both kind of took off. But what does that mean? Like, how did you take off? Was it being strategic about purchasing ads? Did you already have a really built-in community of readers? How did people even find out about your books? Because I think that's one of the things that really holds people back is, you know, yeah, I want to self-publish, but no one knows who I am. And how do I publish this book? Because as we all know, or, or as I've <laughs> realized, just in the traditional publishing route and publishing fiction in particular, that can be a harder sell than nonfiction, for instance, because you are solving a problem. It's usually, you know, exists within a business or a brand and it's not end all be all, but with fiction, you're entertaining. So there's no real necessity to buy that book right that second. So how did you both, how did you both quote unquote take off? Like, what do you attribute that to? Well, I, I um, actually first self-published in 2009. So I was lucky in my timing that the competition was not fierce. Um, yes. And then I, when I was with Amazon Publishing, I had the advantage of having them behind me for their marketing. But I will say for someone who's just starting out that even with all the books there are, think about going onto Netflix when you have so many choices, it, people are still looking for particular types of things. And so marketing to me is always about visibility. It's mm -hmm. never about buy my book, buy my book, buy my book. It's about, I have something that you're going to want to read. And if you have that mindset that there are readers out there for this book, I need to go where they live, wherever that is. If it's Facebook book groups, if it's ads on Amazon, if it's Facebook ads, if it's whatever, you know, Instagram, whatever you think your readers are found and you meet them halfway, which is just kind of a broad way of, of addressing it. Yeah. Um, I didn't, I didn't have any background in fiction. I was writing uh, feature articles for a local newspaper chain. I didn't have any advantages that anyone else had. I love that though. I love that. I mean, you just did it. You did it anyway. What about you, Tess? Is it, do you think that your experience being with a small press, kind of knowing what you're doing, already having a, um, a reader base? Did that, did that help you at all? Uh, well, you know, you would think it would because my first book actually did really well. Um, and it was in 2011. And again, like Karen said, the competition wasn't as stiff, you know? Um, and I, and I, um, you know, one of my big life lessons has been not to defer my power to others. So I gave these books to this publisher and then I just expected that they knew what they were doing, that they would take care of me. I mean, I was kind of their first big hit and 
they didn't take care of me. They took care of themselves. And so that was a real eye opener to me. I was like, wow, like this is not what I thought. And so when they let, you know, gave me my rights back, I thought I actually don't know what I'm doing at all. Like I didn't know how to upload a book. I didn't know anything like, and I remember a friend who had kind of made the leap before me, we had a conversation on the phone. She was like, okay, well, you have to go blah, 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 blah. And I remember I was just sweating thinking, okay, I don't even know what she's talking about, but you do learn. I mean, it's not that hard once you kind of take a deep breath. There's all kinds of resources out there. Um, now, all that said, it's still not easy. The very first book I published on my own, I, I, you know, I had some friends who had opened a marketing firm. They were helping me and everything. We sold four copies of an ebook that on launch day for that book. This was my ninth book. You know, I mean, oh, yeah. I had been around yeah. and that was in 2016, late 2016, early 2017, something like that. Anyway, since then I've just slowly, slowly, slowly built up more of a reader base and learned more about advertising, about, you know, just, branding, everything. Um, and also kind of what is it that I write that's special? How yes. do I fit into the marketplace? And then doing more of that, finding more of those readers. I mean, that's sort of the strategy, as Karen said. I love that because there's no pressure on time or sale, like, you know, unless it's self-imposed. If you're, if you're saying, I want to sell this many copies by this date, that's fine. But there's no pressure there to meet someone else's expectations. And that's one of the biggest things I talk to traditionally published authors. They're just like, oh my God, it's constantly banging your head against a wall. You're never doing as well as you're supposed to be doing that. Your team is never doing anything that they're supposed to be doing. So it can be really, really frustrating. Um, and Karen, when I was on your podcast, you said something that resonated with me and I've literally been saying it in almost every interview I've had lately, but you said when deciding between traditional publishing and self-publishing, you have to make the decision between, you know, validation, accolades, accomplishment, or readers and money. Mm -hmm. And you chose readers and money. It's one of the best things I've ever heard said about this and how to kind of choose, but can you explain what you meant by that? You know, I went through a period where I was like, yes, I know I'm making a living wage and I know people love my books, but this person is, is being featured here or, you know, my local librarian doesn't even know who I am and has recommended books to me by other local authors that sell a fraction of what I sell. It's, it's that, you know, that ego thing that, yep. <laughs> yeah, and so at one point I just had to make that decision. Like, well, that person who the librarian recommended or that person who won that award went a different path. And that's what their reward for doing that. They did something I chose not to do. And they, you, you know, you can't be upset if that's not what you did. Um, right. How jealous can I be? So, right. you know, so it, to me, it came down to that because as yeah. I said before, I really have a vision for a story and I like doing things my way. I remember um, Robert Downey Jr. was quoted as once he became kind of um, very well known and had more power, he would say to, I would assume the director, like, let's do it my way. My way is better. Yeah. And it, it, that's such a succinct way to, to say it. And I can't tell you how many times I wanted to say that to a publisher. Let's do it oh. my way. You know, and they're, and, yeah. you know, and, and of course they have a vested interest in a financial investment and 
Um, and they're not going to do it my way. So, but when I yep. run my own publishing company and publish my own books, uh, it's all on me. So if exactly win, lose or draw, if the books are terrible or if they fail, that's on me. But if they do great, I know that it was the story I wanted to tell. And you're reaping the benefits as well, you know, not someone else, which is that's right. amazing. Um, well, there's another, to- there's oh, another oh. element to that that should be mentioned is the thing with self-published authors is that a book is never dead. There's no like, oh, if it's not successful in the first month or whatever it is, it's dead. I mean, we, I, I know Karen does this too, but you know, we advertise our backlist like crazy and that's like, you know, a ton of income every month. And even if we didn't put out a book, you know, for six months, we still have all this backlist that we can use. That is so, that's such an important point to hit because, you know, my first two books, I earned out pretty quickly they do, my publisher does nothing to promote that backlist, no down prices, no marketing. And I'm like, well, because I'd be making royalties, like they're going to have to pay me (laughs) more (laughs) to promote those books. But it's so frustrating because I'm like, these books aren't even that old from 2018. That was my debut. Like we should be pushing these as well. And it's, I've asked a million times and it's just like, Nope, nope, nope. So, I, I mean, I think that is so important. Like, you really are when you're self publishing, you know, all books should be evergreen in nature, but you really can have these, like, you know, sure, you have lulls sometimes, but you can push them forever and promote them forever. And that to me as a writer is how it should, it should be. It's not just you put it out six weeks later, you forget about it and move on to the next thing. Um, so, I think that's amazing. Yeah, to, to readers, it isn't an old book. If they no, haven't read it yet. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, which is so important. And Tess, you said again on your podcast that you put out, oh, I don't know, eight books last year, which is just beyond mind boggling. Like I'm a very fast writer, but that is unbelievable. Um, so can you talk about that? What Number one, how did you do that? Um, and just the freedom that comes with being able to create your own publishing launch schedule. That must be just the most incredible thing. Yeah, I, I am a fast writer and I also am very ambitious and motivated by money. <laughs> so yes, I like to put yes. books out because it means to make money, but I also just like to publish at a faster rate. As Karen says, some of those books last year were novellas, novellas or shorter books, but oh, typically my books are like 75 to 85,000. So, you know, there, it's not like I'm putting out 20,000 word books or whatever. So I do like that. However, I will say that the pace last year was probably a little too much. And, and I'm working on a deadline today, which is why I forgot that I was supposed to come over here and talk to you guys. Cause I'm like, <laughs> so focused on, Oh, I've got to get this done. That. So I I'm working a little bit more on balance. Um, yeah. You know, how can I still have a life and do some other things I'm interested in, even in the business and still produce. So there's, everybody has to find that balance. But for me, I really like to be able to produce quick, quickly. And I, um, write series. So it's, you know, if I've got a series planned out, you know, for six books or whatever, it's kind of like writing one big book. Mm -hmm. So it is easier to put them out one after the other, so to speak. So, yeah. And how fun for your readers. Like my third book came out in 2020. I had to wait till 2022 
for this next book that just came out and it's such a big gap. And then you're like, oh, I'm not even relevant. And then I wrote that book. I wrote that book two years ago. Right. So for me, I'm like so far gone, so far past it that I actually almost have to go through it to remind myself of, of what I even wrote. Um, so I'm in the middle of launch right now and it's, you know, I'm doing just a ton of stuff and I would love to know what launch is typically like for each of you with self-publishing. I know we had talked about this a little bit before in your podcast too, that it's kind of not as much, you know, fanfare and events, which sounds really appealing to me actually, but what, what does a successful launch look like for both of you? And what, what is a typical launch like? Well, I could, um, I'll speak to that. It's, only a fraction of the work that you do. I mean, um, you Probably want your- a lot more money. <laughs> yes, well, you know, we, um, Tess and I belong to a, um, a reader group on Facebook. So typically we would announce it there. Um, we'd announce, I would announce it to my Facebook followers, which are not, I think I've got 3000. I mean, it's That's not- It's not gonna, Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not yeah. gonna blow your socks off. Um, and then I'll send out my newsletter- and again, that's just something I do routinely. Yep. And I'll set the book up to um, package it correctly, which is I hope that the cover it will be enticing. I hope that the keywords and categories I've chosen will help the books. Because um, I'm a big believer if there's a system, you can use the system to your advantage. So at Amazon is a system um, in and of itself. So that's another thing I do. I'm trying to think, I, you know what, Rhea? I don't really think I do all that much. But I and, love it. And, you know, it's like a day. And then, yeah. then, oh I'm, my God. then I'm on to the next thing. You're speaking well, and Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but she also, uh, you know, is going to be focusing on what kind of ads, you know, oh, does sure. she run and all that. So I think that probably has more to do with anything. I mean, I think for those of us um, who sell on Amazon, mm-hmm. our there is that 30 day window. And so if you want the algorithms to love you, you know, it is, I think probably smart to put some advertising money behind Facebook ads and Amazon ads and that sort of thing. So I think probably, and I could be speaking out of turn, but I think Karen and I both focus more on that than, Oh, here's my book and here's a party and all this sort of thing, because that doesn't sell books. Seeing a book uh, targeted to the right audience where they look at the cover and they go, oh, that's the kind of book I like. And then they read the blurb. Oh, yeah, I'm really excited for this book. And then they buy it. So I think we focus more on that aspect than this big splash of, oh, you know. Sure. And, and of course, we both rely on our newsletters to let our, you know, kind of our rabid fans know, okay, we've got a book out. And do you get to dictate the price during launch of your of your eBooks or paperback? And do you do down prices when you start? Or do you, is there a sweet spot for the price point um, for each format? I uh, do not down price. Um, I know some people use that strategy. I always feel like, uh, what would I pay for a book? Yeah. yeah. And and to me, anything under $5, whether it's $4.99 or if it's a shorter book, $3.99, or if it's a novella, maybe a little less, whatever, whatever it is. And I also look at what other authors are pricing their books at successfully. Perfect. So- yeah. Those are the benchmarks that I use. Amazing. What about yeah. you? Yeah, that's the same. Um, 
one thing I do that Karen doesn't because I do have series is I often use that free perma free first and series strategy mm-hmm. to get people hooked in. And that works. That has worked very well for me. Uh, I just recently put some series into Kindle limited and um, that seems to be a good model too, as far as if you price the first book at 99 cents, let's say, you know, just to kind of pull people in, that's another way to kind of play with prices. And I know a lot of people put things on sale, like, like I know Elena Johnson, who's such a smart marketing author. She like, will do a flash sale for a weekend, 99 cents, you know, you got to get it. And then it gets it up in the ranks. And so more people see it. And so even when it goes back to full price, you know, she still has those eyes on it. So there's all kinds of strategies that way that can be very helpful. Amazing. And how much time do you guys spend on the marketing piece versus the writing piece? Do you feel like you spend more time on the strategies and marketing, or is it kind of just like rinse and repeat at this point? I think um, I enjoy the marketing part of it because I can see that it makes a difference. Um, So I'm always tinkering with ads. This ad is no longer effective. So I'm going to you know, eliminate that one. I'm going to try. Oh, I noticed someone else tried something. Um, I remember at one point an author had pointed out that someone, another author had used on Facebook that they had cut and pasted like almost the entire first chapter of their book in the ad and had left off on like kind of an intriguing part and it was killing it. So I was like, I'm going to try that. And so when I see things like that, I'm like, oh, okay, that's exciting. And so I did run an ad like that and um, it's starting to lose some momentum, but for a long time, that was like the main driver of my, of a book, I, The Moonlight Child, which did yeah. really well. So mm-hmm. uh, you get ideas from other authors and I have to say, and Tess will agree with this, I'm pretty sure, that indie authors are the nicest, most sharing, generous authors there are. You can say, I noticed that your book did really well. Do you mind sharing, you know, what you did? And, or do you have a resource? I love your cover. Um, Do you mind sharing your cover designer or, or whatever? Um, It's just, that's really wonderful to find this community of writers that are so excited when your book does well. And I'm genuinely excited when their books do well. So that's really a fun aspect too. Amazing. Well, yeah, and I think one aspect of this business is that we're not competing with each other like somebody who's making a certain widget. Uh, you know, we're yeah. you can only read one book at a time, but then when you're done, you want another book. So yeah. it's a different model as far as that goes. I think that really helps, uh, you know, give people a, a feeling of oh, I did something. I you know I was able to do something well. I'm gonna generally you know share it with my friend because I think it might work for them too. So I think it just all kind of works together um, in in the community in general. Yeah, it's amazing. So we talk a ton about money and numbers um, on our podcast because I think it's an aspect of this journey that everyone's really hush-hush and like quiet about. But when you do love money and you want to make money, that is super important. But what you're spending is also really important because a lot of people don't think you're going to be spending money if you traditionally publish. And then I've talked to self-published authors that spend $400 total. And then I've talked to self-published authors who spend $20,000 total for launching their books. Um, can you each speak to what your typical spend is around your launch, whether it's ads, editing, cover design, um, and, and what that breakdown is? 
I'm not sure I can break it down like that because I, I'm terrible at math and I don't keep, <laughs> keep, keep track the way I should. I can tell you that it's in the beginning, it's not unusual to spend hundreds of dollars in a day. Oh, um, sure. Yeah. You know, that's really not, but when I look at like my tax return over the last year, I spent maybe 40% on business expenses, including yep. ads. Yep. Um, some of that was editing and cover design and whatever. Um, but my thought is everybody that sells something or almost everybody advertises. I mean, Coca-Cola is a known brand all over the world and they still run ads and commercials. So it's just to give your, your brand and your books a certain visibility. Tess, yeah. do you have any precise numbers? I know you're not a math person either. <laughs> yeah, I'm the opposite of math. Well, you know, there's like the fixed costs. So mm-hmm. the editing and proofing and then the cover and everything. Um, and those, you know, probably putting a book together is, mm, I want to say 2,500 maybe with all that together. Yeah. Um, yeah, like the things you have to have. Sure. Um, well, and you don't less. want to skimp on editing. That's for no, sure. That, that's the thing. Like our, gosh, our editing services are pretty, pretty steep. But like, yes, you want to find someone who's going to do, do a great job. Hey, everyone. Interrupting this episode to tell you about some really exciting changes at Rightway. Specifically, rightwayco.com, W-R-I-T-E-W-A-Y-C-O.com. So we've really been wanting to upgrade our site for a while. We just rebranded this podcast from the Rightway podcast to the Real Story podcast. And we wanted to bring that feel into our website. So we've updated it with some new colors, new fonts. We're going to be getting new photographs. Please, baby Jesus, (laughs) as well. But One thing that is so exciting that we are featuring on our site, which has been a long time in the making, is our recent clients' books. Now, because I only started this company two years ago, and it takes one to two years for books to even come out, when we are working with clients on trying to get their books into the world, whether they are traditionally publishing or self-publishing, it can take a while, which is the reason we haven't really been displaying our clients' books on the site. Now that all of their books are starting to come out into the world, you can see who's doing what, who we have supported, whether it's book proposals, editing, ghostwriting, helping format, proofread, doing cover design, just really getting our clients' books out in the world. And we would really love, as part of the Right Way family, to peruse those books, to buy those books, to comment and review on those books. I will say too, I am showcasing my own books on the Right Way site. It's something that I haven't done. So there you can also find my four fiction books and four nonfiction books that I rarely talk about and rarely advertise because I published them so long ago. But I'm like, you know what? I'm proud of those books. Let's put those out there too. So you can go to rightwayco.com, W-R-I-T-E-W-A-Y-C-O.com, check out our books tab. Check out our new services. um, And please don't forget to sign up for our weekly newsletter where we give a lot of news, updates, fun little kind of mini blogs on what's going on in our lives. We so appreciate all of you. And now back to the episode. But yeah, and then after that, it's kind of squishy because it's like, well, how much like do you um, 
for example, if you only have two books out in a series, you know, you might not advertise them as crazily as you might when you have five, you know, so you have to just evaluate all that as you go along and kind of think, okay, would, would this be um, prudent at this time or not? And, and also, I think a lot about building long term readers. So I might invest more these last couple of years than I'm hoping to in the future because I'll, you know, maybe I'll have a bigger fan base or maybe not. But I mean, as far as numbers go, I think people who are doing well spend about 30 to 40% of what they're making. That's the number I've heard. And that's about, I think, kind of what Karen and I have found as well. But that was a question I had a couple of years ago with so some of our friends who are doing really well, I'm like, how much, like, tell me what you're spending because all of a sudden my, you know, Amazon ads were working and I'm seeing, you know, all these numbers go through my, my bank account. And I'm like, is yeah. this the right thing to do or not? I mean, that's where you get really nervous. And I would just stare at the, the screen and sweat. Um, so, you know, a lot of it's trial and error too. So it's not a precise system. I wouldn't say. Do you ever launch books without ads? I have not. You have not. What about you, Tess? As um, of late, I think this ads thing is the last few years. Don't you think, Tess? Yes. Yeah. Well, I actually wasn't doing as much with ads as I should. And, and Karen really was the one who talked me into it. I, mm-hmm. I could see what she was doing and, and seeing how the numbers were playing out. And I'm like, okay, I just got to bite the bullet. And it's scary because you're like, okay, if I spend all this and and it's just wasted money and I'm still in the same place, I'm going to be really upset. Whereas if you're like, well, I'm doing decent, doing no ads or whatever, you can talk yourself into this is fine. And that is fine for some people. I wanted to get to that next level. And that means you've got to spend some money. Absolutely. I mean, I always say that too. I mean, this is a business. You are, you are building something and you always have to spend in some regard, I think, to make make some sort of return on investment, but that's a slippery slope, especially I feel like in the traditional publishing world where you feel like you have to like hire the best publicist, do the digital marketing, do all these things because you're constantly disappointed by the lack of internal efforts, which is, so a lot of times people will just spend their entire advance and then they won't earn out and then they never see a dime of royalty. So then they're just in the red and I see it time and time and time again, I've made those mistakes. So this, this makes such business sense to me. Um, okay. So let's say I decide I am self-publishing my next book, which I'm really very much considering. I have the the draft done. I'm, I'm editing it, you know, getting it as polished as possible. Let's say I hire a developmental editor. I hire a copy editor. I hire a proofreader, just get it super polished. What do I do next? Because I think this is, a little bit overwhelming because there are different options and different places you can go and you can do Ingram Spark and you can do Kindle Direct Publishing and you can do Book Baby and all these different places where you can upload your book. But can you kind of walk us through your step-by-step process um, and, and what you do, where you start and where you end up? Tess has done more than I have actually in that area. So maybe yeah. do you want to go first? Uh, sure. Uh, so yeah, once you've got your package put together and honestly, that's the most important part is getting that right cover and the right blurb and the right ad copy and everything. Um, you know, well, obviously first it's a great book and then it's the polishing and the professional, you know, 
display of it and everything. And then after that, um, you have to kind of look at the marketplace and decide where your book fits. So for example, Kindle Unlimited is, it's a great place if you're a romance author, because those readers are super prolific. They read a book a day that, you know, and they pay their $10 a month and they can download as many books as possible. So, you know, you might look at something like that and think, okay, uh, I have a romance series. I think that belongs in KU. Or you can think um, I've got more of a book club fiction and those readers are over on Nook and Apple. There's a lot of them over there. And yeah. they price point isn't an issue as much for them as perhaps a Kindle Unlimited. You know, so you've got to kind of like figure that part out, I think, is, a, mm-hmm. is key. And you don't have to if you get it wrong, it's OK. You, mm-hmm. you can put it in KU or you can take it out of KU. You know, there's so many options, but I think that would be my biggest advice and something that I didn't do well in the beginning, uh, kind of studying the market and figuring out where my books belonged on the shelf, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, does that answer the question? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, picking, I think picking the the platform is, is always just like, Ooh, you know what, but so doing your research is so important, but then, okay. So once you get all that stuff done, once you figure out where you're going to publish it, you have your cover, um, everything's ready to go. How far in advance do you decide, like, I'm going to launch on this date or this month? Is there a better month that you found that works well? When do you purchase the ads during that time? Like, how do you prepare for that launch day? I'll answer that one. I, you know what? I keep hearing you say the word launch. I know. And it's so interesting to me because (laughs) launch is such a different thing when you're self-published. Like, Nobody cares when I have a book out. I mean, my, the readers who really enjoy my books do, but it's not, you know, it's like, I kind of feel like with traditional publishing, you're planning a party and you have to get all these things lined up. You know, you have to rent the hall. You have to, and with self-publishing or indie publishing is is a term I prefer. I've, I usually put books out, like I'll put them up for pre-order like a week or two early. I mean, that's really how much notice the market has. And and then I maybe a week before they come out, I'll start some ads because people can't buy it just yet. And I'll, I'll spend $5 a day or something, a really low amount for a week or two. And then I'll wrap and just to get it, it going and to give it, you know, in the system. And then once the book actually comes out, I'll ratchet up the ad spend yep. depending on it, which, you know, maybe I'll run four ads and I'll see which ones are doing the best. Yes. So you're just kind of playing with it a little bit. I love it. Um, and then, then the book is out. And then I hope and pray that people like it because, you know, that's who I am. And, you know, I anguish over the reviews more than I anguish over the sales. I want to see the sales go in a certain direction. So as long as it looks like it's building, I'm pretty happy. I've had books that have failed miserably, but as long as they've built and they got reviews and people s- seem to like it, I'm like, okay, this, you know, I might switch the cover at some point or I might, whatever. Um, I just don't stress about the launch. I, I love that so much. And so speaking of that, what does success look like for both of you for each book? Is it different for each book? Is it, is it, um, is it about sales? Is it about the reviews? Is it about getting more readers? Like how do you each define success for, for each book that you publish? 
Yeah. Okay. I'll answer that. Um, I guess for me, it's a little different than Karen, because again, um, I focus on series. So yeah. I really don't worry too much if the first two or three books in a series are just sort of, you know, mid-listing them, you know, a little bit, <laughs> because I know that once I've got a bigger volume in there, then I'll really start pushing the advertising and that sort of thing. So for me, I have a longer term approach to it than just one book. And I'm very strategic about, okay, what, what is this series? How is it going to play out? And how am I going to, you know, do I put, do I save two and, and launch them a week apart? Do I, you know, all that sort of thing. I think through very carefully, like, do I want to put a book out every three months in the same series, you know, that sort of thing. Um, so, I mean, success for me really is, is it resonating with readers over a period of time and does that show up as royalties yes and if if it's you know and, and again if the obviously if the reviews are great and everything I'm super happy and I would that would be devastating that would be more devastating to me than not making any money off of it if people were like yeah this is not a good book <laughs> but it, it, all that said that that then you know the sales start coming in um then I'm pretty happy at that point amazing what about you Karen you know, I, I agree with what Tess said about um, having readers like it, making money. Um, there, there was an interesting thing with this, my, a previous book that did really well, The Moonlight Child, in that I noticed when I increased the ad spend, there was a, a definite in, uptick in sales, which is what you always want. You always go for that. But this was more dramatic than I'd seen with other things I'd advertised or other books I'd put out. And people really seemed to love this book. And then I got kind of greedy. I don't know if that's the right word, but I felt like I'm going to see how far I can make this go. Totally. And I, Tess knows this whole story because we talked about it behind the scenes. I was like, I, I really want this book to do well. So then I, I got it. Uh, produced it in audio. I created a hardcover edition. I kept increasing my ad spend and it made me nervous. Yeah. I mean, I would get a knot in my stomach and I would call my husband over to the computer and go, okay, I want to show you how much I'm spending because don't be shocked when the visa card comes. Yeah. But this is, you know, but this is what the sales are. So I'm justifying it. And he's like, you know, you've got a good sense, business sense. You've never made any big errors. Why? You don't need me to approve it. But part of me felt like I did. Like somebody in this house needs to know <laughs> spending this outrageous amount of money. Um, and so with that book, it was a, it was a huge success. I will, might never have another book like that again. And so I don't expect it again. Um, was, it the, was this the number three best-selling book on all of Amazon? Like for, yeah. for the entire year. That's so the, unheard the, of. Like, yeah, so Kristen Hannes was Kristen number Hannah, one. She's my favorite. Was, my favorite. Yeah, isn't she awesome? <laughs> she and, is. Uh, the second book was an Amazon publishing book. And then the third book was my book, which was self-published. That was, I mean, incredible. Can I ask what the total ad spend was? Do you know? Um, It was six figures. Oh, it was six figures. Wow. Yeah, it was six figures. But um, over, over that period of time, not yes. like- It's been years. out a year and a half now. So, yeah, that's so anyway, but you know- so that for me, that's success. But previous books, I was happy with just a fraction of that. Yeah. So it's, I think it changes with every book. And as you go along, sometimes you get different ideas for doing different things. And Absolutely. like Tess was saying with her series, she has a phenomenal amount of readers, uh, a high percentage of what they call read through. 
because, you know, that go from book to book to book. And when she puts up a book for pre-order, the rankings are incredible. Um, Even, I mean, for books that aren't even out yet, people are pre-ordering them and they're asking for the next one. So to me, there's all different levels of success. Absolutely. And I think defining it for yourself is, is book by book is so important. And we don't do that enough um, because it looks different. It can look different for every book. And um, I just realized it sounded like I was bragging and that's no, a really like, like I'll lay in bed tonight and go, Oh, why did I say what that? Are just bragging? <laughs> it's inc- that is a huge accomplishment. And I mean, I would be saying I, number three, number three on Amazon. Oh. I know. I I have to slip it in in all the podcasts or whenever we meet new people. I'm like, I don't know if you know, but Karen's book was number three because she can't say it, you know, otherwise. You should. I mean, why why do we do that? Why do we downplay our successes? You work really hard for it. You've been strategic about it. Um, I mean, there doesn't need to be any modesty there. I don't think that's bragging. I think that's just being proud of of your accomplishment and being able to say it. Um, I hate that we do that as women sometimes. Like we just yes. admit, like, oh yeah, it's not a big deal. We all do that and should be like, fuck yeah, I did that. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's how I'd be. Every, every, every opportunity that I got. Um, I didn't, you know, I didn't even know that Amazon had a list for the entire year until I, Tess sent me a screenshot. And I was like, how'd she, I, yeah. I thought she Photoshopped something. I'm like, what is this? <laughs> And then I was like, are you kidding me? She had the link. So amazing. It's amazing. It's it's good to have. And it just popped. It popped on my screen uh, while I was looking on something on Amazon, probably looking for one of my books. And it was like bestsellers of, you know, 2021. And of course I knew her cover, like the back of my hand. I mean, you know, and there it was, I was like, oh my God, this is so exciting. (laughs) I love it. Okay. We're going to end with a fun little lightning round. Just saying the first thing that comes into your head. Tess, if you want to go first, then Karen for everyone and go back and forth. Okay. Biggest thing you've learned on your path to publication? To take control of my own destiny, to learn the business stuff that doesn't come naturally to me. Um, and once I learn it, find you know people to help me if I need to. But yeah, just taking the reins and not being passive about any part of this. And I learned a lot of that from watching what Karen does. I have to I'll be honest about that. Like she's been a huge inspiration to me in that way. It's amazing. Tess stole my answer, but I would also <laughs> add it's, it's not as hard as nothing is as hard as I think it is. And if other people are doing it, that means it's doable. And <sighs> there are people smarter than me and people not as smart as me. And we're all figuring it out. YouTube has tutorials. Other authors are helpful. And I shouldn't be afraid to reach out because in the beginning, I wasn't one that did that, but it's been really beneficial and more fun too. Absolutely. Uh, what is your favorite thing to do when not writing? Mm. Um, well, I do love to sleep. That's <laughs> one of my favorite things. And I love to read. I love anything to do with stories, movies, television, anything. That's my favorite. Amazing. I would second that. And I would say about once or twice a week, I take a nap and it's the oh. most delicious sleep there is. We literally, I just was talking about this on a podcast, like we're, we've brought naps back into our house. I'm actually reading a book called Sabbath, which is all about taking rest. We do not take rest and we need to nap. We need to sleep. Um, so I absolutely love that. Um, okay. If you weren't authors, you'd be. I'd be either, uh, an English teacher 
or a therapist probably. I think I would be uh, someone who worked in marketing. Ooh, I like that. Yeah, I like it. Favorite way to give back? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I guess just being available to people who are starting out or who, you know, any, like somebody, uh, you know, uh, beginning <laughs> their path of uh, self-publishing. I couldn't talk there for a second. Uh, you know, just being that person that they can go to because I had those people when I was first starting out. Love it. Again, she took my, my uh, <laughs> answer, but I also, there's a, um, a charity I'd like to give a shout out to. It's called Donors Choose. Mm. And it, it um, supplies classrooms, teachers with needed supplies. And I very often will look and see who is, which teachers are bulking up their classroom library. And I love to donate towards those because I know how important books are for kids. Oh, I love it. And like physical books too, mm -hmm. you know, like, oh, holding it in your hand, it's becoming mm -hmm. a, a rare thing. Um, how do you both stay grounded in this overwhelming, chaotic, distraction prone world that we live in? Well, that's another great question. It's hard for me not to do the compare it comparatitis thing mm -hmm. uh you know it's every time I go on Facebook somebody's like oh I just made the USA Today for the 15th time you know and it's like oh my god and and you have that or at least me I get this kind of like desperate feeling in my chest like oh, what are they doing that I'm not doing and you know all that kind of thing so I have really actually taken a huge step back from social media I have somebody doing that for me these days and so there's really no reason for me to go on there except for, you know, just if I want to communicate, you know, something personal or whatever. Um, so that's been helpful. And also this business is just so humbling that you, you can maybe feel like a rock star one day. And the next day you're back in the, oh my gosh, you know, I, I don't know what I'm doing. So I don't know if that answers the question. <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> yes, it does. Um, all the same. And if I go to a local bookstore, which I do quite often, I like our local bookstore, but they will not carry my books. Um, and I, I just feel like, you know, I'm just, I, I look at all the books and I think there's so many great authors out there. I'm telling my stories and I'm glad people like them, but mm -hmm. you know, I'm just one of hundreds of thousands. And yeah. so you, you, if you keep that in mind, you don't get too full of yourself. Absolutely. Uh, beer or wine or neither? <laughs> wine for me, definitely wine. I'm a non-drinker. I only have a glass of wine like a couple times a year. Love so, it. Love it. I love it. Okay. Did I answer wrong? <laughs> no, you did not. Uh, coffee or tea? Uh, I love coffee. Um, and then I drink herbal tea all day long. You know, the non-caffeine kind. Yes. Um, I have a, um, a definite bias against hot beverages and I really don't understand them. I, oh, I, I didn't know that about you. <laughs> yes, because the thing is, they're never the right temperature. People make juice. they're like, it's too hot. So then you're like blowing on it and you're sipping and it's like, and it's not beverages. It's, they're just too high maintenance for me. I just don't have time for, you know, and then they're just the right that. temperature for just a little bit of time. And then they're like lukewarm and Oh, like, that's seriously the best, best thing I've ever heard. Um, <laughs> um, fiction or nonfiction? I think I know the answer to this question, but going to ask you. Fiction for me. 
Yeah, fiction for sure. Yeah. Um, best book you've read this year? I just read a book by Susan Meissner and we actually got to interview her called oh. uh, The Nature of Fragile Things. And it was a historical set in 1905 in San Francisco. So that was, I really loved it. I uh, read a book recently called When We Were Young and Brave. Uh, and it's an older book, I think. I think I probably got it on a book club deal or whatever. Um, and it was so beautiful. I loved it. And of course, I can't remember the author right now, but we can look it up later. <laughs> Amazing. Um, who has had the biggest impact on your writing? Or maybe what? Maybe it's not a person. Oh, Gosh, I, I, I guess it's just like a an accumulation of all the books I've ever read. It's like, those are, I think that's what teaches you to write really, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. I, I had a third grade teacher who read my um, story out loud to the class. Aww. And I remember being like so sheepish and so, you know, uh, like pleased and mortified at the same time. And I noticed that the other kids in the class reacted to it. They seemed interested in it. They responded to the the words. And I think that was the first time I thought, I want to do this. Uh, so Mrs. DeFrancis, wherever you are, <laughs> thank you for embarrassing me in front of the rest of the class. Oh, I love that. Um, who is one author everyone should read? Uh, I'm going to go with Beatrix Williams. I don't know if you guys, or I know Kara knows her because I've, I've recently turned her on, uh, but she has the most unique voice, I think, of any fiction author in the world right now and I'm a huge fan she's I think we're hoping she's going to come on our podcast but I won't be able to speak because I'm just going to be a fangirl <laughs> mess I know it I love it <laughs> um I would probably go with Leanne Moriarty oh um, I, you know one, I always yeah. think like it, her worst books are better than most right. best books I mean not that she has a worst book but you know what I'm saying everybody's yeah. got a, a, a range Oh God, so I met her in person and was such a fangirl. I was just like, oh. you met her in person? I did. She came to Nashville uh, Writer Fest and she signed my book and I had a conversation with her. And I mean, I was so ridiculous. I was because I just love her so much. And I love her sense of privacy and how she's just not out doing all the things all the time. And um, yeah, it was a pretty awesome moment. <laughs> Man. Right? Um, lastly, what is the biggest piece of advice you would give for any authors, aspiring authors, um, out there who either want to traditionally publish or just try this themselves? I think it would be to write the kind of books that you love to read. You know what, you know, those, those books that you're just passionate about, um, and just really be patient with finding your voice. Like it takes a long time, a lot of writing to really hone in on what is it that I do that other people don't, you know, what's special about me and my voice. So I would say those two things, and I guess in general, just patience, like really work on your craft before you think, oh, I have a book and I got to learn the marketing stuff. It's like, figure out how to write a really good book first. And I, I think sometimes that step isn't as valued as it maybe should be. Computer. Yeah, and I would add to that, and I guess it's kind of close to what Tess said, is persistence. I mean, I wrote books for 10 years um, and saw no success at all. I, mm -hmm. and, and I remember somebody said to me after things started going um, in a more positive direction, they said, would you do this for free? And I said, I did. 
I did it for free for 10 years. (laughs) So yes, I do it for free. And I would still do it even if Mm -hmm. I wasn't, you know, have even if I had a fraction of the success I had right now, I would still do it because I love it so much. So right for the love of it, do not get caught up in, well, this is a hot genre or this is because then you'll feel like you're doing homework. Yes. Absolutely. Oh, amazing. Um, if people want to find out about either of you, your podcast, get your books, where should they go and where can they find you both? My website is karenmcquestion.com. And I guess yeah. everything I have is on there. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'm tesswrites.com and pretty much everything's on there too. And our podcast is behind the book with Tess and Karen. And we are, we have interviewed some amazing authors, including you. Um, so there's a, there's a backlist now if people want to go in and listen to some, somebody that catches their eye. Amazing ladies. This was such a great conversation. I so appreciate it. I think this is so helpful for so many people who want to branch out and do this on their own. So thank you both for joining me today. Well, thanks for having us. Thanks for listening to Right Way Presents The Real Story. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, and comment. And for more information on The Real Story and Right Way, visit rightwayco.com.